Welcome to Injury Prevention Podcasts. My name is Rod McClure. I'm editor of the BMJ journal Injury Prevention, and each month I chat with a distinguished researcher or practitioner, and together we explore the narrative of their injury prevention careers. My guest today is Associate Professor Bridget Cool, who's Associate Dean in the Faculty of Medical and Health Sciences at the University of Auckland. Hello, Bridget. Hi, Rod. Can you first of all tell us uh, where you're working at the moment? I'm currently working at the University of Auckland and I've got well, sort of a, a joint appointment. Part of my role as Associate Dean Academic with the Faculty of Medical and Health Sciences and then my research aspect of my role, I sit within the uh, Department of Epi and Biostats in the School of Population Health. Great. I want to come back to you uh, and talk to you about injury epidemiology shortly because you've listed that as uh, first in your dot points of areas of interest. But before I do that, you said you're, you say you're in the University of Auckland. Um, that's the North Island, New Zealand. That's correct. The largest university in New Zealand. So can I start a little bit left field with this question and ask you about COVID-19? Or at least your, your thoughts on any possible association between the way New Zealand has handled COVID-19 and the way New Zealand as a country addresses the problem of injury prevention. As a country, we've done uh, fairly well. The, our Prime Minister, um, I think, has shown great leadership um, pretty early on. And we did have the benefit of following behind other countries. We also were just had, had a really long Indian summer when we were a country where people, but most, we don't have high-density housing. So we have the luxury of people being able to get outside a lot and not working, living and working in close confined spaces. And we were also able to learn from the experiences of countries less fortunate than us that have had this sort of thrust upon them. So the our leader, Jacinda Ardern, took fairly affirmative action and we went into lockdown uh, quite quickly. And we're a fairly, fairly obedient lot. Um, and we, we pretty much complied with that lockdown. And I suppose, uh, you know, when you, you ask the question about what that means for injury in New Zealand, and I think it's been the perfect, you know, natural experiment, if you like, in that we've seen this um, massive drop-off in injury incidents because where people aren't getting exposed, we had literally no one on the roads. I mean, the photo photos of the motorways, apart from essential workers, are quite eerie with hardly any cars. So the, um, actually I recently got the ACC stats, which is our um, accident compensation corporation. So we're a no fault system in New Zealand. Um, and they had something like a 54% reduction in injury claims um, during lockdown. So it was just dramatic. So it showed us that if we can, uh, you know, change the environment that we can greatly reduce um, our injury rates, we weren't allowed on the water, we weren't allowed to fish, swim, surf, hunt, tramp, do anything, and we pretty much obeyed that. Um, um, you started initially with the idea that uh, because you're a relatively dispersed population, uh, a population that spends a fair bit of its time uh, out and about, you're, you were able to reduce the risk of COVID because you weren't uh, a highly dense group of people living on top of each other. Do you think that uh, your injury risk in the country is actually higher because you're dispersed and out and about? Correct, I, I do. And, you know, we've also got quite a, quite a, um, a moderate um, 
climate too. We don't have extremes of, of cold, obviously parts of the South Island, but they're very sparsely populated. The majority, you know, three quarters of the population live in the, in the North Island, which has a much more moderate climate. We are a great outdoor nation. I think nowhere in New Zealand is more than 60 miles from the sea. So we, we've got the highest number of yachts per capita in, in, in the world. So we are very much a water-loving nation um, and we're outdoors a lot. And because of that geographical uh, distances needed to be, to be covered, we, we do have high road traffic um, trauma rates, major trauma rates in our rural areas where the roads are not designed as, as well as they could be and people are a long way from advanced level um, hospital care which obviously that means they're less likely to, to do well when they do sustain injuries so it, it is very much a double-edged sword it did save us from COVID but perhaps maybe it puts us at increased risk from, from injury, injury more generally. And then when you do open up and you say you encourage people to return to their normal activities uh, you're going to have to find a way to uh, create the environmental design changes without changing people's uh, natural desire to live an outdoor lifestyle. That's right. I mean, you know, coming off the back of the terrible Christchurch massacres, again, the, the, our Prime Minister acted swiftly um, and banned semi-automatic rifles and guns um, and... So that will be interesting to look at, at those statistics um, from firearm-related harm. And there has been quite a, uh, a pretty positive response that they're just still tweaking some bits of, of the bill I heard this morning on the news for farmers who, who might need to use semi-automatic rifles for you know, pest control, etc. But again, generally, people responded pretty positively to that in light of, of that tragedy. And then, of course, Christchurch had the other tragedy of the earthquake. It yes. Seems the country's had a, a couple of really big issues over the last 18 months that you've, that you've responded to incredibly well. And White Island as well. The, um, the, all the, the burns, I mean, completely overwhelmed. And the burns um, units in, in New Zealand. Um, but again, it, coming off the back of those things, that the, the emergency response and that the trauma surgeons and the clinicians' response, unfortunately, um, have had quite a bit of practice in their emergency response and were, were able to respond relatively well to those situations, which I think also helped in their preparedness for COVID, although in actual fact we never reached the numbers that, that, that the healthcare was, um, the health system was swamped, which of course was the idea of the, of the lockdown early. So in fact, we didn't have to put into action from a COVID perspective, those um, emergency response plans at, at the level that we thought we were going to have to. And White Island was the volcano, is that right? That's correct, yeah. So I, I su suspect this might be the, the heart of the conversation uh, today is how the nation has been able to respond as a nation so effectively uh, when many other countries uh, have dissident voices around issues. You seem to have identified a a commonly understood problem that the nation has uh, recognised. Uh, the, there's political will to do something about it. There's a clear policy on how to respond. And there's a coherent um, support from the community to try and make that policy work. So implementation, there doesn't seem to be such a problem in New Zealand as it has elsewhere. And I think too, we, we had strong leadership on a couple of fronts. So we had... Um, the Prime Minister 
listening to what the scientists, what the epidemiologists were saying. We had Ashley Bloomfield, who's our Director General of Health, who is um, an Auckland University alumni, and a public health medicine specialist himself, who was very cool, calm and collected. Um, we had daily briefings at midday, I think, I think someone called it, you know, New Zealand's new reality show, uh, where the Prime Minister would speak and Ashley Bloomfield would speak um, and was, I think, pretty honest about the situation and we, we frequently had commentary in the news from, from epidemiologists that really backed, were able to give strong support the decisions that the government were making and I think that helped people feel comfortable and confident that the right decisions were being made um, and we also, you know, they quickly passed um, health bill legislation that, that banned people from doing those things, e.g. fishing and all those sorts of things. And the police were, I mean, I felt sorry for the police. I'm sure they felt like they were a bit of a nanny state, but they were going around. They were, people were getting fined. Um, there were people dobbing people in. There was sort of was a dob your, your neighbour in type telephone line. So um, people did get pretty upset if they saw people, um, you know, flouting the rules and saying, hey, you're putting us at risk. So we were pretty, we were, as the Prime Minister said, we were a team of five million. And there were some issues with, with the PPE, um, you know, some elements of, of the health sector, you know, dentistry, um, primary care felt that there was, you know, they weren't quite getting the PPE um, at, the, at the rate that they would have. The testing, so for example, our university converted our labs that weren't be, being used for teaching and research purposes to testing labs. So we're very rapidly able to increase the, the testing rates in the country by um, some you know, fleet-footed thinking by, by the government and, and partnership with, with universities and, and DHBs to achieve those desired testing levels. PPE being personal protective equipment. Correct. So, so the, the question now is, can we do this for injury? And if not, what's the difference? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think one of the really positives that's come out of it is uh, people have a better understanding of what public health is. People have a better understanding of what epidemiology is. And I think that, um, you know, we, we're starting to see certainly within our, you know, the programs that we offer, for example, I think we'll see an interest in people wanting to move into, into those areas. So kids leaving school or people, health professionals who want to want to retrain in those areas. So I think some of, some of, some, some of the things that have held us back in New Zealand are capacity and capability for injury prevention research. Um, it is not, um, doesn't get the, the same level of, of financial support that cancer research does and cardiovascular disease research, and that's not to say those aren't really important areas. They are, and they're also big problems for New Zealand. But injury has sort of been a little bit slightly the poor cousin and the funding that they've received. And of course, naturally, as researchers, you know, you, you go where the money is. That's reality of the job. So we've had sort of seen a, probably a diminishing pool of injury researchers in New Zealand. Um, so hopefully with, with the raising of the profile of epidemiology and public health that we will see more people going in into that area. Um, Accident, the ACC, as I mentioned before, they sort of have the mandate in theory for injury prevention in New Zealand. They've, they've been under a, a, a very large um, redesign and a rethink and a restructure over recent years of, of what they're doing. So instead of taking a, 
sort of a mechanism approach, thinking, okay, how can we look at this in a more joined up way, joining up the agencies that need to be involved if we're actually going to see any real gains in injury prevention. So that's really exciting. They're also looking at more of a, a life course approach. So I think that is a signal, obviously, they've, um, that they're interested in that. I think you know, the data that they've produced um, in relation, they've analysed their data over this COVID time and looked at the, the dramatic reductions in claims um, by mechanism, you know, obviously ethnicity, everything's dropped, dropped down, age, the whole works. So hopefully that will help provide impetus to support the new approach that they are taking that's looking more, as I say, at those determinants and interagency approach um, rather than this, what's been a siloed approach in the past. Probably the most common um, theme for most of the conversations I've had in injury over the last uh, 30 years has been the challenge of fragmentation and uh, the fragmentation, injury against the, uh, the rest, injury, uh, within topics within injury, um, funding silos. Uh, it, as an observer, possibly one of the things that's driven New Zealand's success with COVID has been your ability to work as a single unit. Uh, and then the fact that your injury agencies are now recognising benefits from a non-injury condition and creating a, a confluence between the injury types within one organisation for an entire country, you may well just be at the cutting edge of the solution for injury as well. And it'll be interesting to watch that over the next few years. And I, you're correct. And I think the other advantage we have, you know, we, we don't have a fragmented, um, you know, local government. So we don't have states as you do in Australia. So we've got, um, we can all sing pretty much from the same song sheet, which I think is a definite advantage. It's in theory, much, much easier to, to get things to, to move forward um, because we're not having to go to a, to a state level. Um, we are one, in theory, united country. Well, thank you very much for setting the pace for us. Um, I think that will be a good point to close the conversation, but uh, at least this one, but not future conversations, as obviously we'll be interested in catching up over the next 12 months to see how things have progressed. Thank you, Rod. We've been listening to Associate Professor Bridget Cool from the University of Auckland. For anyone wishing to learn more about some of the topics we've covered today, I'd encourage you to visit the journal's website at injuryprevention.bmj.com. Remember, you can subscribe to Injury Prevention Podcast in your favourite platform or app and have it automatically downloaded to your device each month.